Welcome to Maestros On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Maestros On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music, concerts, and personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. On the show, you'll hear from President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee, SCSO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau, and me, Jeremy Hickman. Sometimes we're even joined in the studio by the maestro himself, Aaron Collins. We're glad you're listening, so let's get going and find out what happens on this episode of Maestros On Air. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> That's great. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. Yes. This is that uh, everyone should know that was absolutely unrehearsed and and pretty much a bad idea, but it, no. now it's done. It's a I don't great think idea. it would I don't think it would be any better if we rehearsed it. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, t- I tend to agree. And I'm going to tell you something. This is really a fantastic morning. I have my uh, a special Seattle coffee cup. Ah, oh, congratulations. I have the uh, Chicago cup. Yeah. What do you ah, got, Jeremy? Let's see what I got. I got Texas. That's your Texas. home state, isn't it? What's that? That's your home state. My home state, born and raised. Ah, congratulations. But your cup actually says Texas? Yeah, well, just so people listening have no idea what we're talking about. If you go to Starbucks, they have something called the You Are Here mug collection. And so if you go to different cities or different states, different locales, they'll have a, a cup that's uh, customized. So a lot of cities have their own, but sometimes uh, they'll have just a state. So like right now I'm looking at my cup. It's Texas. Uh, it's kind of got an orange and green and brown theme. I see a longhorn cow, an oil well. Um, cactus, etc. And this then, is fun. Yeah, my cup, the Seattle <laughs> cup. His is a whole state. Mine's just a city. Right. I'd like to point that out. Seattle is not a state, ladies and gentlemen. It is, in fact, a city. Thank you, Mister Obvious. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the cup. It's inc- it's beautiful. It has the Space Needle, of course. See the Space Needle. I see I that. See yeah. Uh, it kind of looks like a top, but it does. But I know what it is. Anyway, so it's a Space Needle. And there's something. What's I'm that not thing sure that looks I'll, like a bomber? I have no idea. Where? Where's the bomber? On the side there. Anyway. Keep going. I don't see. Is right it, a, here. Is it a Boeing jet, Oh, it's maybe? a Boeing jet. It's yeah. a Boeing yeah. jet. Oh, and that's the that thing behind it. That's the exhaust. Yeah, it's a chemtrail oh, oh, that oh, nobody believes in. I happen oh, to think they uh, exist. That's but, fabulous. Yeah, so it's blue. And there's a bicycle. People bike a lot there's in Seattle. Bicycle. That's cool. Let's yeah. see what the Chicago cup There's a killer whale in there, Oh, yes. By the way, not your hometown, but you spend a lot of time there. I've spent many times. Many uh, years in Chicago. It's got the Hancock uh, Center. It's got the uh, Sears Tower. It's got, it's got the Water Tower. Note that the Water Tower is taller than <laughs> all the other skyscrapers. Yeah, that's... the cup is not to scale, ladies. Well, and gentlemen. <laughs> that's I right. hope not. But uh, it's a great, great town, Chicago. So great town. I'm happy to be drinking out of the Chicago Cup. Yes. Yes. Welcome to Maestros on Air, everybody. Coming up in the next 15 minutes, we'll get out our stamp collections also. Oh, <laughs> really? Stamp I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Hey, Ladies Captain. and gentlemen, this is what happens when we don't talk about how the show's going to go. We just uh, turned on the microphone, and here we are. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good that's day. Right. That's right, because you can listen to the show any time of day or yes. night. I like saying good day. It covers the whole spectrum. Yeah, it's very it doesn't wise mean of you. Daytime. It doesn't mean like daylight or nighttime. Day. 
That's very, you're yeah, very a 24 wise. 24 hour day, and it also includes darkness. You're very wise. It's a good day. Ah, thank you. You're welcome. Well, I suppose we should acknowledge we actually have a guest here in the studio this morning. That well, is correct. Yeah. Bill, why don't you uh, introduce our uh, special guest? All right, I'd like a drum roll, please, if I may. Nick Tuhill. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. What's your actual title over at uh, the Scott Center at uh, Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy? Auditorium Audio and Video Manager. Wow. I bet you can't say that three times fast. Mm, probably not. Six syllables is a little too much. So how long have you been over there? I've been there for just coming up on two years now. Okay. And it's a really wonderful experience and opportunity that I've been presented with. All right. Good. So it's not two years too long. No. That's not, good. Not yet. That's good. Nick actually runs the audio video at the Scott Center. So if you've been to a performance at the Scott Center in Melbourne and you've listened to anybody give announcements, any audio before, during, or after the show, uh, the lights, the air conditioning, uh, he even uh, he vacuums the floor after everybody leaves, I think. Occasionally. No, actually, what do you do? What, what, what all is encompassed in your job? My job is primarily, I work in rentals. So we at the Scott Center, which is located at Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy, rent out the facility, Scott Center and some of the other buildings there, to various groups, one of them being Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, one of our favorite and best clients. Yes, Yes, um, I concur. We, we host, what, it's around 30 shows there per year right now. So that's that's, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, that's almost two per month. Um, I understand the contract's getting more and more and more shows. And I, I find it amazing that Space Coast Symphony can perform all year round. That's that's one of the amazing things that I've learned about them. Now, Aaron does not know you're here today. Okay, so this so. is... So this is kind should of, I disguise my voice or something? This is kind you of tough secret. No, 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 you're fine. You don't have to disguise. But what would you, what do you want to say to Aaron? He's not here, but rest assured he will listen. What would I say to Aaron? Yeah, what's like a nice little happy message? I would say that he's honest. He's doing a fantastic job. I think really? that he's a really charismatic individual and everything that he brings to the performances and shows, you know, it's, it's about to one part the musicians, but also the character and the charisma that Aaron brings. I think that that, that image that he upholds is just it's really fantastic and really cool. Did he get to you? No. No? <laughs> no. What I mean is, are you on a payroll of some kind? Well, I was a bit fund. under the weather yesterday, so maybe I was having some dreams. <laughs> There's a slush flood that Aaron delves into to pay guests before they come on the show. It's apparent now. I, it was a little theory of mine, but now I'm convinced. You know, anyway. now, now that I think about it, I did receive an envelope, an anonymous one. Was it, in a, was it in a brown paper bag? <laughs> why, would it, why would it be that? Oh, I, don't, I don't really know, Nick. I really don't know why the envelope would be in a brown paper bag. Well, you asked. Well, you know, yeah. you brought it up. So. I, I just didn't know if Aaron the... has, a, has a thing about bringing paper bags somewhere. Or oh, of course. Puppets, or does he do that? <laughs> the puppets are in the paper bag. That's <laughs> right. in great. Oh, wait like a second. Nick. Okay, creative juices flowing this morning. The symphony has never done music for a puppet show before. You know what? He's right. You're right. You, he is. That's good. What do you think mm -hmm. about that? Would you that's, be open to having a puppet show? To have a puppet show? Yeah, at the Scott Center. And has good opportunity for our ideas. On a scale Can, from one to ten. Got an entire stage to deal with, so that would take probably, what, 100 puppets to fill? <laughs> 100 plus tax. The, the best part about you being on the show, Nick, is, you know, Bill is fascinated with things behind the scenes. 
That's yeah, like his that's right. big. That's like his big thing. He talks about that all the time. So when you're over at Holy Trinity, what do you typically have to do? I know, you know, you're really good, like with the recordings and everything, the sound, and that probably varies, you know, from concert to. Yes, concert. it actually varies from client to client. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's start out with the symphony itself. What's a typical uh, performance day like? Uh, performance day is usually uh, I've already figured out what were the, what are the needs, the requirements, chairs, stands, uh, microphones. Uh, I would have by then created a an idea or a plot for where I would place the microphones. Not always written out, but just an idea for how I would go about tackling um, what instruments are being played and everything. So. Um, by day of, I would have all, all equipment set up on stage um, so that when musicians come in to either rehearse or to perform, that's, it's all ready to go. So we try to be as transparent as possible, um, make things as easy. Um, for the symphony, symphony traditionally has low, um, low drag requirements. You know, it's, it's pretty straightforward what, they, what you guys need, and um, setting up's usually not too, too heavy. So uh, practice uh, typically come in four hours before the show, six hours before the show, do a sound check if necessary? Yep, absolutely. No, we'll do a sound check. Um, you know, I have the opportunity now to be able to run our sound equipment from down in the uh, auditorium where the people would be sitting and watching the show. Um, so, you know, that's a new feature rather than being up in the crow's nest, as some people have called it. Um, it's a little challenging to accommodate for the sound being in a hole in the wall, which it's our facility very, is. It's very challenging to accommodate anything, in my opinion. But I'm going to tell you, no, the truth is practice makes perfect. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. So we're, so you're not running the sound up in the, up in the booth now? Okay, sometimes I am. Um, but generally, if I'm running sound, I'll, I'll go down into the audience and get a, you know, feel for what it sounds like for the audience. Another feature is that if, say, we have oh, stage really, monitors. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That um, is cool. In the event that we have. What did you install nice. to make that happen? We have, we were actually graciously donated a uh, digital soundboard a number of years ago by Georgiana United Methodist. They donated about $20,000 to purchase a digital soundboard, a Yamaha M7CL. Which, by the way, uh, of the venues you know, across Central Florida, it's it's got to be one of the nicest setups uh, in a, a fairly modest-looking building, you go in, and you know the, the sound setup is just fantastic, plus the light setup. Yes. Well, we have about 80,000 watts of total amplification when it comes to the sound equipment that's involved. We have two 24-inch drivers up in, up, hanging up top, which are big, 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 big speakers. You, know, you don't hear, you hear about t- 12s and 14s in cars. Well, these are 24 inches, so you can imagine. Um, so if you've ever experienced a show at the at the symphony or at the Scott Center, you'd know that the the bass is very clear and the sound is very crisp. So well, not only that, the musicians I think really like the way it sounds on stage too. Am I right, Eric? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things we always talk about would be better if the acoustics were a little bit more more live. But the but the sound on stage, I think you know you can hear across you know across the uh, the stage just be nice if we could get more of the sound you know out there yeah well i'm not going to mention any names of other facilities but i know that you have said in the past that the musicians don't like performing at certain certain facility without mentioning who it is uh because it just falls dead oh yeah yeah well yeah right? the scott Completely center's not dead. like that i mean no, there's a certain amount not. of life on the stage but it's it would be nice if we could go out there more 
You, right. you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Nick knows what I mean. Now, this does is it, really behind no... the scenes. The average person, they're going to be like, what? So, I mean, this is really, I, I think this is very interesting. It's a whole different dimension to, you know, to talking about the experience of symphonic music instead of, hey, let's interview another musician. I mean, that stuff's great, but this is technical. I like it. Which I am a musician as well, so I really? guess I got oh, you on that you, one. What so do you play? I play violin, I sing a hair bit, and um, I also play piano and oh, guitar. That's great. So oh, that's great. Dabbling. Violin fantastic. for 15 years. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. When are you going to play something with the Space Coast Symphony? I have been asked many a times, actually. Aaron's, um, I actually played with Aaron in when he was conducting a community orchestra some time ago. And so that's how I knew Aaron from previous times. And then when I joined up at uh, Holy Trinity, seeing him come there and start performing there was kind of relieving because I knew already who he was and everything. But um, What do you do on Monday nights? On Monday nights? We could use it at MCL. <laughs> that's, that, that's actually, I'm, re- I'm referring to the uh, Melbourne Community Orchestra. Yeah. I actually previously played there two Two plus years ago, all right. Um, I was there with. Uh, I was invited by um, two cellists actually in the group, uh, Mickey, Mary, Carol, Pointer. If, right. uh, if you're familiar with them, yeah. Well, if you want to, you know, show up uh, Monday night, uh, you could uh, use the help. So. Yeah, are you wonderful. serious? I am he, serious. He can play. Nick said he no, could. No, no, no. I mean, of course he can play, but I mean, is this a, a, an actual invitation? It's official invite. Yeah. <laughs> See, now it's really? recorded. It's on well, air. Sure. So. Well, that's great. Sure. Do you have to talk to um, Aaron first? He's already talked to Aaron. Really? <laughs> He's in. Is that what he just said? Yes. I've been here the whole time. I thought you were in the just left to go to the bathroom, didn't you? No. Oh, mentally maybe. <laughs> you were on a mental <laughs> vacation. All right. How was Pretend your vaca- How was me. your mental vacation in it the was Bahamas? Lovely. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> One of the questions we like to ask is how did you come to your particular instrument? So you know, why the violin? Why the violin? Well, I'm sure people have much more interesting stories, but how I came to the violin as a youngin in fourth grade in Palm Bay, Florida, I uh, knew of a, a young female that lived across the street from me, and she had joined the orchestra early in the year, and I decided to follow along and join for to spend some time with her, fourth grade, you know, 10, 12 years old. Um, so I decided to join the orchestra, and lo and behold, she decides to leave the orchestra. Not because of me, hopefully not, but she just decided that orchestra wasn't her thing, and uh, I just decided to stick with it. I can relate. I can relate. Yep. I, I started smoking because this girl that I really liked smoked, Yeah. and she quit. So I continued to smoke. Well, I found that Until smoke... I quit. I don't yeah. smoke anymore. But... I found that smokers typically have more fun, I think. Not yeah, really. Well, yeah, because they always go on on breaks. They don't work as much as like other people. Oh, I still take breaks. I don't let that stuff happen. <laughs> Trust me. Smokers so, take breaks. Guess what? So I'm when I worked a break. in an office, I'd always go out and, you know, talk to the smokers. You know what typically goes with cigarettes is coffee. We all talked about our coffee cups. You didn't talk about yours. What's on your coffee well, cup? Uh, so uh, I'm learning of this new game here. I have a Philadelphia <laughs> Starbucks. We just, oh, hey, we just invented it this game. morning. That's right. Which has a lovely... Building with a pretzel on it. That's the famous Philadelphia pretzel and, uh, building. Looks like the Liberty Bell and a uh, cannon, which was probably the one that shot the Liberty Bell. So Philadelphia. They, they really have a pretzel building in Philadelphia? I have no idea, but I, I somebody, somebody so. is going to write us and complain that their favorite landmark in Philadelphia we've besmirched because we call it a, a pretzel building. Well, there is a giant pretzel sitting on top of a building. I'm looking at it, or at least I was before he turned the cup. 
So if you Seriously. know the answer, please write to P.O. Box. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's a can... good question, the pretzel thing. Can Actually, that be the, the question? Except we don't know the answer to it. Is oh, the my problem. God. Yeah, he does. Jeremy just said. I have no idea. I, said... I've never seen that before. I, I haven't right. looked at that. Well, <clears throat> well, maybe that could be a bonus question. <laughs> bonus question. All right. Is there a, a building in Philadelphia with a giant pretzel on well, top? I'm looking at it. It's right there. Right, but I want to know if that's true no, in real I, life. I, it is. I believe it. It's on the cup. <laughs> yeah. Fully, thoroughly convinced. Whatever, whatever you I say. I am convinced. Never been to Philadelphia. Got to be a pil- building with a pretzel on it. Right. What's All the right. email they would send the answer to? Contact at maestrosonair.com. There you go. Speaking of, that's also where you send your answer to the question of the week, which we'll ask a new question coming up. But why don't we go ahead and answer the question from last week? All right, we can do that. The question from last week was, who was the party band in the comedy classic Back to School? Boingo, boingo. You are correct. Yeah. So, That's um, great. How did I know that? <laughs> I, was, I was getting ready to say, no, Bill, don't answer the question. Oh, wait. Yeah, we, now's the time to actually answer the question. Right. Yes, that is correct. Typically, boingo, boingo. Typically, you know, we have the question of the week, and Bill will blurt out the answer, and then Jeremy's got to, like, edit it out. <laughs> so, boingo, boingo. This is, like, this is like a long arc of uh, questions, because going back to uh, a few episodes ago, we first started talking about Tim Burton movies. Uh, because we were talking about the music, right? And then we're talking about who played the music, who wrote the music, uh, what bands were they in? Yes, we're known for the long arc of questions. So, I'd like to give a little teaser to the question coming up because I happen to know I'm privy to the question. I'm not privy to the question, so I'm I, I would love question. a teaser, please. Well, why who don't you invented? I'm not going to say what it is yet. Who invented? It's a big question mark. It's a uh, blank. All right, and then we'll have yeah. the question later on in the yeah, show. Yeah, right. This 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 does sound like a puzzling question. It's a teaser to the uh, question. Yeah, teaser so. to the question. Who right. invented a big blank line with a question mark? And we could put in a drum roll, but we've already had one drum roll this show, so we shouldn't have two. Yeah. It's bad luck. So. Because if we do that, we sound like every other goofy, stupid, ridiculous, run-of-the-mill, second-rate. Loser bah, bah, bah. radio show. We're not, we're not that? No. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay, well, I guess the question of the week coming up here in a few minutes on the show, but uh, getting back talking to Nick, uh, in terms of the venue itself, we were talking about the, the sound system, the lighting system. Uh, I've said this before on the show, but of all the venues where we perform, I really like the Scott Center because of the seating. And some people may have a difference of opinion. They think, oh, I want to go to a, a giant theater with these stadium seats and all. I really like the seating at the Scott Center. They're more a, a, a more akin to like a church pew. Lovely seating. But Lovely you have seating. the ability to kind of spread out, uh, you know, place people where you want to. You could take a nap if you wanted to. You know, you, one it, could. One could. <laughs> because because Eric that. has. That's why he said that. That's right. Because he you loves go. sleeping I, at the Scott Center. That's true. I have done that. <laughs> yes, I will agree. I've done it as well. Not on the clock, but I, I am actually former al- own, alumni of Holy Trinity, so I've spent a great deal of time there. You don't have to worry about uh, covering yourself by saying not on the clock. You're among friends. We're not going to blow the whistle on That's you. Right. That's okay. So let's talk about that, actually, because uh, obviously you mentioned that you are in rentals and you'll rent out the facility for different groups coming in. Uh, I want to ask two different areas of question. One of them is, 
what are the other kinds of groups that you have come through and how how do their performances different from from the the symphony their uh, other performances and clients really do vary it is on a you know, one show per show basis of needs and requirements. It starts by figuring out what exactly is needed, um, what equipment will be used, how much manpower, whether I need additional support. You know, I generally run most of the shows by myself and I'm running three positions. You know, I'm an audio guy, I'm a sound, I'm a lighting guy, and I'm also stage manager in a way. So being able to stitch those three together and still have it seamless is, um, very, can be challenging, but I, uh, I, I, greatly enjoy it. It's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. And, and for the record, as you know, I, I have observed this ballet before, uh, you know, I've been up in the booth with you on occasion, mm-hmm. uh, and offer to help. Sometimes you say, Nope, got it because you know exactly how it goes, but, uh, you will sit here, you'll run over, you'll push one button, then you'll run over, you'll slide up another set of faders mm-hmm. and then you'll hit the other button. Uh, you know, so you really are running three different positions. That's correct. Yes. And even, and even times I will, since I'm generally the only on-site con- contact there, there's even times that I'll have custodial requirements. I'll come in and, oh, by the way, the uh, toilet paper's out in stall two, and i got to do that. So, um, But yes, absolutely, the, it, it can be challenging to run multiple positions at one time. It's getting easier, though. With the ability to run the soundboard from the iPad, uh, that really is a great advantage because I can be anywhere in the facility. You know, I could be uh, in the audience adjusting sound so that it's not too loud or too intense, too crisp or choppy. Um, I can be on stage and work with, uh, let's say there was a band performing, you know, rock band or something, and they have stage monitors, speakers. In the past, I would have to, you know, ask them, hey, do you need more of this, less of that? Well, I can actually go and stand right next to them as they're practicing and, oh, okay, yeah, it does need a little bit of more p- piano in there. And, so that's a really, really great feature. So. That's good. Let me ask you this: when um, when you do when when a band's doing a sound check or an orchestra, you're doing a sound check, um, and obviously there's you know really nobody there for the most part, and then you have an entire audience show up, and let's say it's a packed house. How difficult do you find it to where you have to overcompensate for that, for the sound difference? Because now it's a packed house as opposed to doing a sound check for you know, a virtual empty space. Yes, it actually, it makes a huge difference when the facility is empty versus when you have a full packed house. We seat about 900 people max in the Scott Center. And what I generally do is if I, if I understand a performance is going to have 300 plus audience members, I know that it's going to deaden the sound. So what I have to do is plan for that by checking each microphone individually, um, making sure that all of the sound mixes together well. And then what I do is I pull the volume back just a little bit and I make it sound correct at that reduced volume. And then when a full audience comes in, all I do is push that back up to where it's supposed to be, you know, five decibels under. And then once the audience is there, push it back up that five decibels and that will compensate for, you know, an entire audience and the deadening of clothes and breathing and there's there's a lot that goes into it and everybody knows out of an entire let's just say symphony orchestra there are two things that really stick out at least in my mind and that is the tippany that guy and a gigantic tuba and i call it the tuba blast syndrome and when you're setting up your sound don't you have to really pot down the microphone that is miking Eric's tuba. 
I don't because really, of the tuba blast syndrome? I wouldn't say that I have to bring it down as much. I just have to be aware. Um, microphones are very <laughs> directional. So if I point the microphone right at the tuba, yeah, that's what I'm going to hear the most and everything else is going to kind of get lost behind it. So... But you do like an overall miking. Correct. The you know, miking it's not setup individual instruments. For an entire orchestra, what I generally like to do is just amplify, again, what I say that Aaron hears. When Aaron is listening and conducting, he is hearing every instrument at its fine, you know, the crisp volume that it's supposed to be at because of the distance of from how far away he is. He has the violins right next to him because they're not as loud, and the brass instruments are farther away because they are louder and can project farther. So my idea is that I like to set up a set of microphones, one that is your left ear, one that ends up being your right ear, that record basically what Aaron is hearing on the stage. And for I use that as amplification. So I really don't lift it too much. It just kind of fills the sound. Um, it's it's an assistant, basically. Correct. Because if you have something like a, an acoustic guitar or even a, a, a keyboard that may be electric and not even have a speaker, you've got to plug it in and you have to really amplify it so that anybody in the audience can hear it. But a symphony orchestra, you're going to hear it no matter where you are, but you just will want to lift that level up a little bit so it fills up the space. Mm -hmm. And occasionally I will do what's called spot miking, spot miking, which is where I will place a wireless microphone or a large condenser microphone near an instrument that will be doing, let's say, a solo or that I feel is just not coming through enough. Generally, like a piano, I'll add a microphone to the piano and just kind of add in a little more, or it at least gives me that level of control to where if something does happen and the piano just feels a little lost, I can just bring it back. Have you ever been tempted? Now, this is kind of a little off-the-wall question, but seriously, I mean, I'm <laughs> being serious about this. When are have you serious? Right now. Oh, okay. um, Have you ever been Ladies tempted? Ladies and gentlemen, please mark the time. Bill is going to be serious. Have you ever been tempted to just, you know, wow, look at that gigantic tuba over there. I think I'm going <laughs> to slip one of those mics down Eric's tuba <laughs> and just, you know, crank it up and see if we can't get rid of some of these... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gonna now, be. I, I will say, in all seriousness, I have not had that level of uh, intrigue with with um, spot micing, but I have seen really? it's very useful when um, if I put a mic on somebody and then they go backstage to into the changing room or something yeah. like that. Conveniently leaving that microphone on. See, that's exciting. I like that. That's you should do one. that with Aaron sometime. Aaron, do not listen to this part of the show. Okay, he's not listening. Why not take one of those little mics, the condenser mics you're talking yeah, about, one on them. so people see behind the scenes without Aaron knowing? I'd love that. Can you do that? Can you do that? <laughs> I, I've always thought that's how they get the quotes that they show at the no. shows. The Aaron, no, no, Aaron's no, no. Quotes. they come from this guy. And, and people you know, those like are like him. from all the rehearsals. Yeah, I mean they're unbelievable. This the guy, stuff meaning he comes meaning up. you, Eric. Yeah, yeah. And Colleen. We all like keep. We're always like laughing about this stuff. Yeah, that's great. But can you imagine a condenser mic? Well, then clean, that, crisp. Well, that's when we have like do the reality show. <laughs> Because that would be, like, hilarious. That's great. I'm yeah. all about the condenser mic. I'm a fan of the condenser mic. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. I want to get back to what you were talking about. So with the I, so that's how you control the, when you got, it's with an iPad. Correct. 
that's that is really. Did you know about that? That's really cool. Well, I, 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 I've seen them. I know that they exist. I did not realize that the Scott Center had added that. Now, did you have to? Did you have to buy a new module to plug in to enable that? The soundboard actually. It's a digital soundboard, and it actually has Ethernet hookups on it. I'd like to take this moment to thank somebody real quick. Just a moment of silence. Thank you, Steve Jobs, for the iPad. Okay, that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah, so you have a Yamaha a digital board, but that's been there for a handful of years, and you've not had that capability before, correct? That's so correct. Did you have to add a computer? You had to add a, add a Wi-Fi broadcast? Device. Yes, that is true. We did end up adding a, we have just a closed network, a router that we hooked up that no internet access that just has access to the soundboard. And, um, and again, also an iPad. Very cool. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this next time I come to see a concert. That's a, that's a, it's a very neat capability. Mm -hmm. How many, how many shows a year do you do? I would say, and by the way, I'm making the assumption yeah. that most of the shows at the Scott Center you do. Yes, no, that's um, aside from school related events, which I can be brought in sometimes for, uh, I generally work, I would say, four, four plus shows per month for events. Um, so one, once a week, I would say. Um, some weeks I miss a show or, or, you know, don't have one, but other weeks I'll have three in, three in a weekend. So. so the symphony is probably <clears throat> half of your shows. Um, yeah, I would say at least, say, a, a good at least a third of your shows. Wow. Yeah. It's a good one to count on. Most of my other ones are, you know, ballets. Um, we we have occasionally speakers that come through. Um, it can it, it really varies. So we've had bodybuilding competitions. Um, ballets but, are a big one. But no puppet shows yet. I was no just going to say that. Yet. Okay, we're going to have to Jeremy. put one of those together. Yeah, we do, mm -hmm. and we have some ideas, or at least I I do, for some really interesting puppets. Well, I want to get back to the other area that interested me uh, when you said earlier that you are actually an alumnus of the program itself. So can you talk about the program? I mean, right now, you're in rentals. Uh, you are uh, there when an outside company wants to come in, a band, a symphony, a ballet, etc. Mm -hmm. will rent the facility. You'll uh, run all the sound and other equipment for that performance. But there is a school that's there uh, five days a week. So can you talk about that and how that school uh, figures into the, the, the audiovisual program or the acting program or the technical craft program? How are all those related? Yeah. How are they related? Well, I would say that it is, um, it is scheduling fun is, is very fun for that. So school obviously comes first. So anything school related gets high you know priority over any rental. But I would say that the ancillary rentals that we do are a really large moneymaker. It, it definitely... Um, you know, we have the facility sitting there. It's space that can be used. So we're trying to take advantage of that. So right now, one of the things that we're doing is looking into all of the time that is not being used by the school um, and going around and seeing, you know, what other types of events that we can host there and what, you know, because we do have more facilities just other than the um, the Scott Center. We do have our gym as well and the Tiger Cafe, which is our lunch facility, and um, the classrooms as well. So occasionally we rent out to Creative Young Artists is another local group in the area that they come by and they will utilize the music rooms and choir rooms for music practices. And then they perform at the Scott Center when they're ready for their performance. So that's, um, you know, we're trying to look into multifaceted use of the center. Well, if there were another organization that wanted to look at that as a venue, how would they contact the facility? They would contact Chris McGahey, which is uh, 
that's me is my boss over at Holy Trinity. He is the advancement coordinator and, um, he would be the one to contact for that. Is there a website or an email they would use? You can get it on Holy Trinity's website, hdacademy.org, I believe it is. We can double check that. Okay. Well, what part of the curricula actually uses the facility? Scott Center is mainly used by the drama department and also used for daily chapel events. So during the regular school day, um, Holy Trinity takes a 30-minute break to just kind of set aside time. Um, and that's where they all convene and get together as students, and they will... On, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I believe they do regular chapel-type related events, do some readings and just some food for food for thought. Um, it is a, and it's an Episcopalian school, but it is non-denominational in acceptance of everybody coming. So it's very, you know, it didn't feel pressured. Even as a student there, I didn't feel pressured into religion. I felt that it was just kind of presented, and it was additional food for thought. So if you ever want to experience drama like you've never seen, come by the River House at some time. Okay. Trust, believe me, <laughs> it's off the charts. It really is. I mean, drama, drama, drama. It, that, that's a different kind of drama. What, what Nick was talking about was actually practiced and scripted and a, the a theater production. Yes. Okay. That's the, dra- the drama department at Holy Trinity. Well, it's, it may not be as orchestrated as your drama department, but I am telling you, it is theatrical and it's very dramatic as well as traumatic. I like the orchestral pun there. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And then the music groups probably use the facility as well, I would Yes. They, they do for their performances, the choir, the band, and orchestra. They they have lar- uh, growing programs there. Um, when I was there as a student, uh, our orchestra was at largest 10 and then went down to six or seven at one point. So How big is it now? It is right now 13. So it's oh, steadily growing. Um, I think most of the students were gyrating towards the art department, and then now the drama program is very, very large at Holy Trinity. So on a scale from one to 10, it's a 13, Eric. All right. Yeah. That's like turning the amp up to 11. <laughs> That's right. That's where you start. Right? Oh, as, right. a, as a private academy, does a student come in and pick a certain track, or does everybody get mixed into more of a, a general set of programs? Each year, there is, I believe, a choice for two or three classes, you know, kind of electives in a way. But most of the... Um, you know, general education, mathematics and, you know, sciences and everything of that sort are pretty well set. You know, they, of course, offer honors programs and AP classes as well, if you're willing to take that route. But um, yeah, I would say it's pretty, pretty well-rounded. They see they have their enrollments about a max of 100 per grade, and they go all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade. Well, you mentioned that you were in the program, and then after you graduated, you stayed on as an employee. What what made that linkage for you? Were you doing this part-time or as a volunteer before? They had a need. Did somebody retire? How did you get into your current job? Okay, so I was actually invited back after, let's see, I graduated in 2009 and went off to Full Sail University for a number of years. Wow. And, um, I like Full Sail. Oh, that's a good that's a good school. What did yeah. you do a major in Full Sail? I, st- I studied game art. So. Oh. It's oh. video games and design and everything that goes into what you would see in a either a video game or an animated movie uh, oh, that's of cool. any sort. So state of the art facilities. Correct. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was in technology nirvana um, or tech Valhalla, if I may. Um, it was really amazing to be around so many students that were. I mean, there's film programs, there's art, there's computer graphics and design. Um, I understand they're going to be adding fashion programs. So it's it's a really really 
personal expanding school. Um, expensive, be it, but amazing for the experience that I spent there. Is so, that what you're want to get into, like the game? I would say I'm trying to use that the processes that I learned and techniques that I learned there for other purposes. I understand that there's always going to be a great demand in the entertainment industry for video game designers and you know artists of that sort. So as a fallback, yes, I you know I'm looking at a job at a game studio. A art game artist generally earns fifty plus. $50,000 or more a year. So at an entry position. So that's a really nice um, seat to be going into. But in the meantime, I'm really just uh, expanding uh, my borders and just trying to figure out what I really do want to do. Um, I, I'm interested in programming. I'm interested in music, arts, um, you know, and anything that combines all of that is, is really something that interests me. So not necessarily just one niche area, but combining knowledge of multiple things to make something new. Well, real quick, back to Full Sail. It's an accredited school, yes. right? Yeah, but it wasn't always an accredited school. Correct. At what point did they start? Um, when they added their master's program, yeah. they started to, or they transitioned into becoming a fully accredited um, university. And their their accreditation is not the same as what you know, let's say state or public or state colleges would be under, but it is accredited enough and it's recognized. If if you come in with a degree from full sale, they know you know what you're doing. So I've had appointments over there for several things in the past and I'm like, wow, I just I'll, you know what? I'm gonna go to full sale. And the first time I went I was blown away. Not to get on this this uh, topic, but really what I liked about it, it's high tech. Everything, mm -hmm. like you said, is cutting edge. Just the best equipment money can buy in yep. studios, the way everything's yep. engineered. Mastering and everything. Yep. Yeah. But I was blown away at the fact that they have the actual Electric Ladyland uh, Jimi Hendrix recording studio right there. Yep. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. How'd they do that? At full sale. They yeah, actually Why don't have, you elucidate uh, for us? Well... For us great unwashed. I was taking the tour, and they have all these really incredible-looking um, rooms, and they go into detail about what they do. Like, for example, one of the, one of the rooms that they use for, for gaming, they actually have people with suits. They put suits on them, and they have all these sensors. And the entire room is picking up all of the motion, every little nuance. Oh, that's the motion capture studio. Motion I actually did, capture studio. I, cool. I took a month in, the, in that class. Oh, um, that's cool. It was really amazing. So what motion capture does is it uses a bunch of cameras, infrared cameras, uh, placed around a room in a circle, and then you have a person with a suit on that has tiny little balls all over it that right, pick right. up infrared light. So what happens is you have a person doing an action, dancing or fighting or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And the cameras capture that in 3d space. So, and they use that data to apply to th a 3d model, which is a character, a person or a creature. And now that character is now doing those actions. So you can literally have somebody standing in the room dancing and on screen, you can see a giant, you know, monster or five different characters all doing, you know, whatever MC Hammer dance they're doing or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah. I was blown away. I didn't want to leave each room that they brought you into. You didn't want to leave because oh. it was so cool. You wanted to take it all in. And then, okay, next. Come on. We're going. Uh, but wait. Did you want I'm to put a suit on? looking at this. Did they let you put a suit on? No, but I wanted to. <laughs> I love the suit with the little balls all over it. It's my style all the way. So the Jimi Hendrix thing, they're showing you all these incredible things, all these, you know, really in and of themselves. You could actually have just that room that he's talking about 
and that could be a separate entity. But this is comprised of all of these. It's a massive facility. And I couldn't believe on the tour, they're like, and this is the original studio. This is Electric Ladyland where Jimi Hendrix recorded, among other people. I think the Beatles. and. So what do they do? They just took the studio and brought it over to The studio is sitting right there at Full Sail. It's unreal. Everything. Full Sail has been around for a number of years. They've been around for a long time. They were originally known just for their music recording arts, and then they expanded into the film area and then eventually graphic design and 3D arts. So what they were originally known for was their recording abilities and their techniques that they used and the equipment that they had. Mm. So that's they used to function as a fully you know, operating studio, and then they transitioned into more of an educational environment with that Oh. Still in mind. Yeah, and I'm not trying to get political here, but Mitt Romney actually invested in Full Seal in the early days. Really? I don't when know he was with still... Bain? What's that? When he was with Bain Capital? I think so. Yeah, but oh. he had a pretty big percentage of uh, Full Seal. You're just a font of knowledge. I am. I know, I know everything. Speaking of fonts of knowledge, we have a special question of the week. Yes. Okay. No more drum roll. Okay, if everybody just puts their thinking caps on, you can actually start trying to answer the question now. Nick just put his thinking cap on. He did. I just saw him do it. Um, very nice. Nicely done. I have the aluminum, <laughs> foil, and aluminum foil hat so the aliens don't get oh to me. Oh, my God. So. And Jeremy, he doesn't care. He, he doesn't need a, any kind of helmet or yeah, he's ready to go. <laughs> brain protection, <laughs> as it were. Um, okay. Who invented... Glass. Glass. Big question mark. Big question right. mark. And Who how did was it? Was it a guy named Philip? <laughs> no. no, that's not. You're the not answer. supposed to answer the question. <laughs> that's not the, but no, that's that's not the not answer. It. So, uh, where would they send the uh, answer to? Okay. Well, so, by the way, the, <laughs> so you threw us for a loop here. Um, okay, I'm going to have to put my thinking cap on. Boy, you know what? You you told us to do it. <laughs> Everybody else did. I didn't pay attention. I'm just recklessly going through the program here. All of a sudden, you threw it out there, and I wish I put my thinking cap on. So, um, uh, if if uh, you listening have your thinking cap on and you think you know the answer to who invented glass, send us a note to contact at maestrosonair.com and the first person to answer correctly will win one set of flex tickets and remember if you already have season tickets flex tickets are a great gift for friends and they're very exciting they're flex tickets you can use them at any one of our concerts that's right it's very I, exciting. by the way decoder ring flex tickets Flex means flexible. Uh, you can use them whenever you like. Yeah, uh, and you can actually bend the tickets, too, without breaking them. They're very flexible. Yes. You know what? That is that is very true. When did you start uh, overall miking the orchestra? Because I remember you didn't do that, and I really noticed a big difference when you started doing That wasn't like right away. What I was doing originally was I had floor mics down, which mm -hmm. were a tiny little, it's a condenser microphone, and they have a very nice range of picking up. The only problem I found with them is that they give this awful spacious sound of just like, I feel like my head is, my head is up against a wall. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of varied away from those. I would say I probably did that last summer. Okay, because I really around. noticed a difference because before you came on board, there wasn't any miking Correct. at all. And when you started doing now what you're doing now, I mean, I really notice a big difference, like on the pieces I don't play. If I go in the audience, it really fills out the whole mm -hmm. auditorium. But like you were saying before, Jeremy, it's not 
It's not an obtrusive. It doesn't sound amplified. Correct. That's that, that. The idea that I'm shooting for is that, you know, if I had just amplified a piano and nothing else, it would sound like the piano would be floating up above the orchestra because that's where our speakers are. So I really can't mic something without miking the rest of the orchestra as well. And that for the orchestra in particular. So the procedure that I'm doing now seems to yield really good results. Right. I think it really makes a nice, pleasant sound in the auditorium. And and I'd like to add one other thing. Uh, Nick, you know, as far as microphones go, one of the big passions in my life is the microphone. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, this is exciting. A little thing with a little screen and a little, like a little, you know, like this little sponge thing on it. And I must tell you, I love the microphone. I do, I do, I do love the microphone, but I'm not in love with the microphone. And why is that? I don't know, but I just have a real passion for microphones. I think it's exciting. When I go in a music store, I love the mic rooms they have, the big, massive mu- music stores. And I'm looking, thinking, I wish I could buy that one. I'd like to buy that one. I love Well, that, that's interesting you say that. You should get Nick to uh, bring you up and show you, because I, I didn't really want to get too overly technical on the show here, but uh, this topic keeps coming up. But you, know, you talked about uh, switching microphones. You really have a pretty large toolbox of uh, several different types of microphones from different manufacturers. Can you talk about some of the considerations that go into choosing a microphone? Yes, actually, there's uh, microphones for specific purposes. There is, um, you know, without getting too technical on names or anything, there's microphones that are made for vocals. So like the microphones we're using right now are made for a certain range. They're not bassy. They're not too crisp, high frequencies. It's made for right around midtones where voices come in. Um, there are microphones that are meant to pick up an entire spectrum, you know, yes, full spectrum. And that is a large, usually a condenser microphone. Now what makes a condenser microphone, a condenser versus a dynamic, which is what we're, I believe, using right now is one requires electricity, a lot of electricity, about 50 volts. So, and that, what that does is that provides additional, um, power for the microphone to be able to pick up differences in sound. Whereas right now we have a little piece of plastic that's vibrating and anytime it pushes or pulls, it sends a little electrical signal. Well, with a condenser microphone, it's floating, ready to be pushed or pulled. So it's just more sensitive. Oh, he's going to love this. Bill, what that's called, that 48 volts, phantom power. Hey, Captain, I love it. You know, (laughs) yes, Nick. Yes, I like what you're doing. No, no, no. It was like I was, fr- I was, I was basking in the glory of the. You were singing, and he, ah, this is great. I love show business, Nick. I love show business. I love behind the scenes of anything, but show business. Come on, it doesn't get any better. I think enter- entertainment is just really the greatest industry. It's um, you know everybody's always looking for it. Doesn't matter what what's going on. You know, even in the Great Depression, what thrived. You're right. Show business. Show business. There's no business. Like show business. Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Well, and you know, it's uh, one of those uh, themes is always leave them wanting a little bit more. And what do you know? The hour has already slipped away. So right when Uh we get in our stride, there's lots more to talk about, but we're out of time. So we're going to have to bring this show to an end. Well, thank, thank you very much, Nick. I for appreciate it. It's really experience. been a pleasure. You can be on the show anytime. Nick yeah. Tuhill. That's yeah, right. Thank Ladies you for and germs. inviting me, and um, I really appreciate the offer. And, and this was a really great experience. You guys were really fun. I'd like to point out one little thing, if I may. Your name is incorrect. Tuhill. It should be Two Hills. 
<laughs> anyway, that's just I'm just being that's technical. Just yeah. That's just you. <laughs> All right, but thank you so much for joining us. It was fun. Absolutely, fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. And so did these guys. I'm not speaking for them, but so in closing, thanks for joining us for another hour of Maestros on Air. I'm Eric Lee. I'm Bill Trudeau. I'm Nick Tuhill. And I'm Jeremy Hickman, reminding all of you, as always, we'll see you at the show. This has been Maestros on Air, brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Episodes are available at the iTunes Store or at maestrosonair.com. Maestros on Air is recorded at the Peak Velocity Studio in beautiful Brevard County on Central Florida's Atlantic Coast. For more information about the symphony or upcoming events, like us on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. A Peak Velocity production.